Welcome back, folks. Uh, this is Ryan Shriver, your host of Bounded Context. Um, this is a, a video podcast series. We're talking to architects about they, how they think about approaching problem solving. And today, I'm happy to welcome to the program Joel Tosi and Dion Stewart, um, the two pair that um, infamously uh, created a book last year called Dojo. And the Dojo is Dion. Why don't you uh, tell me uh, the, the byline of the, of the Dojo book? So the Dojo book, uh, really, Joel and I just tried to document what we've been doing for about the past uh, six years, which is creating these immersive learning environments called dojos. Uh, the word dojo comes from martial arts, uh, Aikido. Uh, it literally means the place of the way. And the idea behind these dojo spaces is uh, teams go in to upskill. So they're there not only to learn new ideas, new techniques, new architectural techniques, but also practice them uh, with the guidance of coaches. So there's feedback uh, the whole time. And they're doing it in the context of developing their real world products. So that's one of the real big differences between sort of a dojo approach to upskilling and typical training. A lot of typical training is sandbox environments with uh, pre-written exercises. And if you sort of follow the recipe of the workshop or the tutorial, as long as you stay on track, you're not going to run into any problems. And people attend those kinds of trainings and then they get back to their desk the next day and try to apply it. And all of a sudden you're running in your firewall problems or this service is disabled in Amazon in your environment. And so the, the dojo is all about learning, but in the context of developing your own product. That's awesome. Well, how did you two guys meet? Joel, how did you get uh, connected with Dion? Uh, I, I honestly don't even know if I actually uh, know. Uh, I, th I think, uh, so Dean and I both were good friends as uh, you were too, Ryan, with uh, David Hussman. Um, and so Dean and I were both doing uh, work with David. I'm guessing the first time we met was probably just uh, at Studio Two before it was called Studio Two and we were just hanging out as a group. And then, uh, yeah, yeah, we just kind of started, did some, did some gigs together and, you know, the magic happened. <laughs> oh, awesome, awesome. Cool. So, so with that bit of background, tell me some of the work you guys are doing as it relates to maybe, either, I guess, applying dojos or helping technically oriented teams adopt them. So maybe share some of the work you're doing uh, today. Yeah, uh, so we've done a lot of different stuff. I'll, I'll start uh, give you some examples of the clients that we've been at and then Deanne can hop on his side. Um, the early stuff, uh, was a lot of the e-commerce kind of uh, online shopping type things. Uh, what was interesting um, there architecturally was, and this was even starting six or seven years ago, organizations and architects were trying to go to microservices, you know, years ago, going from monoliths to microservices. And we saw patterns emer emerging there where um, kind of over design, overthinking, right? Where there was this one team, um, they, they built a new product and it was working. And then the architects came and said, and I'm sure Dion remember this, uh, the architect came and said, it has to be microservices. And so then all of a sudden, this product that was working became 35 microservices that didn't work because they didn't know kind of how to do it and everything was failing left and right. And so you see these kind of patterns emerge. I mean, that was a simple one. Um, we've done other things with uh, embedded systems and, and uh, uh, vehicles, which is really interesting from an architectural standpoint. Um, I think some of the stuff that was interesting there was uh, in the vehicle space, it was a really complicated um, environment in the sense that you were going from like computer engineering to electrical engineering to mechanical engineering. And 
um, what we were observing, like the patterns that we were seeing was just kind of bad abstractions. When your uh, software engineers are smart and mechanical engineers are smart, electrical engineers are smart, but when you're, for a software engineer to have to know the mechanical engineering aspects of a car, it just feels like there's a bad level of abstraction there. Like I, when I have to blend and, and I have to understand how the my dependency works and their dependencies work to make any progress on my side, it creates all these false couplings. And so there was just really this interesting patterns of creating new abstractions across like disciplines. Lately, we've been doing some stuff with some uh, uh, de de defense contractors and kind of a whole new world of uh, information and, and security there. Uh, what about you, Dion? What, what kind of stuff have you been doing pattern-wise? Uh, a lot of cloud. So a lot of people moving yeah. to the cloud, doing cloud migrations. Uh, so helping them do the migrations, hopefully not just lift and shift, but actually helping them refactor to cloud native along the way. Uh, so, so that's been a lot of work, but really kind of as Joel mentioned with uh, this dojo model that we've been helping companies uh, set up these learning environments in their orgs, it's really whatever architecture the team brings in for their product. Uh, so, uh, I mean, even recently I had a team that's maintaining a very old school Java WebSphere app. So, you know, it's wow. kind of like, all right, I need to roll back a, a decade at least. But, um, With DB2, I bet too, right? Um. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny because it was, it was an old version of WebSphere as well. So it, it, was, it was really kind of a wild ride. But anyway, um, brought back some old nightmares. But it is kind of whatever the team needs at the time. It's, it's whatever is appropriate contextually uh, for the team in terms of the architecture. I got this. So, so, so Dion, when, when you when you go to work with the team, you know, how do you approach, well, one, what's some of the problems that you're problem to solve? And, like, how do you approach your problem solving? So walk me through sort of your mental process of how you, you get handed, you know, some a learning environment, but an application that has architecture. Like, how do you go about sort of, you know, making traction in that? Yeah, so... I guess uh, one thing I should say about my own sort of capabilities as an architect is uh, one way of looking at architecture is there's sort of application architecture and then there's the technical architecture side of it. Yeah. Um, I've always been stronger and gravitated more towards the application architecture side. Okay. Now, obviously, you have to blend the two. And uh, I think even as, you know, even more so today as we're moving towards cloud architectures and things like that, there's a pretty strong um, coupling between the way you define the application architecture and how you roll it out, especially when you talk about things like microservices and, and those kinds of approaches. Having said all that, uh, one of the things I got from my time with David Hussman was a really strong push towards the early side of the value stream and product discovery and yes. understanding the problem domain and the domain space. and uh, so for my my sort of default approach is to actually kind of say, and I'll, I'll say this with teams and do this kind of hand gesture, right? There's the technical computer world over here, and there is the problem domain or the opportunity domain over here, if you will. Early on, as much as we can, forget about this stuff over here. Like, let's uh -huh. go understand the problem domain and the opportunity domain. And I I think... Uh, and I, I was there for a long time myself. A lot of engineers, we just have this knee-jerk reaction to stay more on 
the computer side, right? Um, mm -hmm. I see this with a lot of people who are excited about serverless these days, right? Like a new problem. Oh, serverless, here's how we're gonna do it. It's like, wait a second, maybe we do it in serverless. Maybe that's completely appropriate, but let's set that aside for a second and understand the problem domain. Um, I'm, I'm lucky as well because uh, to the extent that I have any skill in this industry whatsoever, it's uh, the luck of the people that I've run into. So I had this crazy prof named Dave West in graduate school uh, who was teaching object-oriented programming in Smalltalk, you know, pre-Java wow. days. Yeah. And he brought um, Rebecca Werfsbrock, Adele Goldberg, Kent Beck, Ward Cunningham, sort of all these thinkers in that space on the campus. So as a grad student, I'm meeting these people, um, you get, you know, got to bounce ideas off of them. And early on, I learned sort of what I would call the behavioral approach to application architecture, right? Instead of thinking about the data model and the data structures, it's what, what are the behaviors? Like what are the behaviors we're trying to model uh, in our application architecture? Uh, Rebecca Werfsbrock has probably been one of the longest running influences on me, you know, in terms of architecture. Uh, I've been reading her books and following her for over 20 years now. Um, that ties really well with the product discovery aspect of things, right? Like, what is the behavior? What are people trying to do with the system? Or if it's some kind of batch automated system, what's the problem it's trying to solve? And really getting a strong grounding in sort of that aspect of the problem before we even start thinking about how we're going to implement it technically. Uh, the, the other thing I'm a, a big advocate of and a fan of is domain-driven design. And um, domain-driven design obviously fits in well with this approach. Uh, Rebecca Werfsbrock is very active in that community, much to my delight. So when I go to domain-driven design conferences, I get to see her. And, and I'm guessing, Ryan, you must have some affinity, affinity for DDD since you called this bounded context, right? Of course, man, it's a nice little nod. See, you, you, you pick it up. The, the people who are in the know sort of will pick up. <laughs> uh, when, I, when I gave the name to our marketing folks in Lindsay, they're like, what? I was like, trust me, some people will get it. Some people will get it. So, uh, so, so Joel, how is your is your approach similar to Dion's or, or, or how, do you, how do you approach sort of these problems? It, yeah, it's super similar. Uh, I don't know if it's through 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 mutual uh, acquaintances or through years or to just hanging out with them too much, but uh, it's it's a similar approach. I mean, uh, when, I, when I'm thinking uh, about architecture, um, I, this was this was even I had a similar evolution. I would say to Dion, I was an architect back in the day at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, which I won't say much more about than that. Um, but when I when I left there, uh, I was when I was at the Mercantile Exchange, I was really into the code. I really didn't care so much about uh, the the use as so much as I was interested in the design. We got to make it fast. We got to make it do all these things. Um, when I left there, I was an architect for Red Hat for a few years, and I would go out to clients, and I remember um, they'd all be really excited about uh, Red Hat products, and we would talk cool tech. But it got to a point where I was like, man, the, uh, it's, this technology is just not serving a purpose. Kind of like, let's talk about the purpose and give me some context around why you're thinking these things are solving your problems. And then I, you know, uh, started hanging out more with uh, Dion and David. Um, when I think about architecture, it's always like this sliding spectrum. Uh, it's a sliding spectrum of, of certainties and uncertainties and things we can get wrong and things we could never get right without trying things out. 
And so for me, the architecture is is about understanding um, the decision points and how they affect outcomes and, and people. And I think that's the, that's the, so it's still the same view as Dan takes on the world. It's, you know, these architectures serve a purpose and we have to ground ourselves in those purpose. And after that, it becomes a learning uh, expedition. What do we know well? What do we not know well? Uh, what can we possibly not get wrong? At the Mercantile Exchange, there were just things we couldn't get wrong, so we had to spend a lot of time thinking about them, like like latency. It turns out traders don't like latency. <laughs> they, 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 they want things to go through pretty fast. Yeah, imagine that, right? Uh, but on the flip side, there was just certain things that we couldn't possibly get right because the market was too dynamic or would change too much. So if we tried getting too structured in the way we would deliver data, it, it, it could change too rapidly. And so we couldn't possibly get the data. The data models had to be more flexible. And so you, some of these things um, you just have to kind of walk through with teams, you know, kind of where are we in the spectrum from the product and these decision points and where does everything fit? That's kind of my take on the world. Well, cool, man. No, I think we, we, we definitely had similar upbringings, um, you know, but yeah. in, 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 and Joe and I had a chance to, to work together. One of the things I was I admired very much by watching you work is as an architect, right, we're usually there because we're in charge and we're there to make decisions and sort of, you know, I don't say take over, but, you know, we're their leadership. And I've noticed the way and I realized that, that architecture and dojo are, re, are related but different. But, Joe, when I watched you, you were great at not sort of saying this is what we're going to design and build. You kind of held a mirror up to the team and you're really good at asking questions. And, and those questions would unlock you know, sort of, sort of what the team uh, needed to do. And through that sort of steady asking the right questions at the right time, you know, I observed that for some of the teams we worked with, some of these architectures were able to be described. You know, I, I remember watching you and, and some people would say, well, how's it work? And they start to explain it. Like, no, just, and you hand them a, a mark and say, get up and draw it for us. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and then normally as a facilitator, you're like, okay, let me draw it for you. But you, you had the inverse. You're like, well, then draw it for me. And then when they start to draw it, you would tease out certain aspects of it. Okay, what about this and what about that? And I often think that I think it's a very interesting way to sort of approach it. And I don't know if that's connected with Dojo or that's just maybe the way you guys normally want to work. Um, but I found it to be very different, but also very effective. So. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, uh, Dion. I'm, I'm sure you do a similar, dude. I mean, it's the whole idea is that uh, when, whenever we're trying to discover architecture, I've, I'm yet to find a team that all agrees upon how it looks. And so they can talk about it and they can agree yeah. on the words. But as soon as you kind of drop sketches and people start saying, you know, I don't really think that's how they communicate. And I don't really think we own that. Oh, what about this? And all, you know, it's all the questions that come up. Um, and it's easier for people to point at things. You can't point at words very well because, because you know, they just kind of disappear. Uh, yeah. But I, I'm, sure, I'm sure Dion's in the same boat. Is that a fair statement, dude? I, I think so. I mean, the, the first thing we should point out is we're not there to do architecture in the dojo. We're help, mm-hmm. there to help That's teams true. learn how to do their own architecture, right? So, um, yeah, we want to bring as much experience as we have. And, and there are, might be certain cases where people just point blank ask, you know, how would you do this or what do you think? And at that point, you can offer up an opinion. Uh, The thing I will say, you know, sort of a kudos to Joel is Joel is really good at this questioning technique in in coaching. Um, You know, he does it in a very non-leading the witness kind of way, right? So it's not like, well, you really want a kinesis stream there, right? You know, it's... (laughs) (laughs) Um, If he sees a problem with the architecture, he'll say, 
uh, do you see any problems? Can anyone think of any problems, right? Like <laughs> that's the starting point. He doesn't even convey what he's seeing there yet. So uh, it's a little bit of guiding and prompting, but it, it's also really trying to get them to own their own architecture. Um, that, that's a big part of what we're doing. So it's constantly this balancing act, right? If a team has never been exposed to 12-factor apps, for example, and the org is, is trying to adopt 12-factor, at a certain point, you move into a teaching mode. Um, and, and I think that's, uh, that's something that sometimes coaches don't acknowledge enough. Uh, Joel and I have this joke, if you could be replaced by a bot as a coach, um, you know, where the bot just says, I don't know, what do you think of that? You know, <laughs> then you're, maybe you're not the greatest coach on the planet. But. That's funny. Well, you know, you mentioned something earlier, Dion, that, that I see as a challenge, even the engineers in our company, is how do you get the engineers beyond just thinking tech is cool to sort of focus on the problem? And that's something I had the same in my career, too. Uh, you know, I came up through developer architect and there's a long part of my career at Java and was really interested in that. And then at some point, and I don't know whether it's Hussman specifically or other people I run across the way, but I finally got into the, yeah, we can make whatever we need to, but what problem are we solving and is it important? It took me a long time as a technologist to, to sort of make that leap. And then once I did, to your point, when I go in today, it's, it's really less about, at least up front, it's less about the technologies. Maybe there's some constraints you have, you gotta work with them. But it's really sort of what problem are you solving? Um, why? Uh, who's going to benefit? Who's going to not? How do you help coach um, or how do you see other engineers evolve like that? Because I, I see it's a tough evolution and some just either aren't interested in it or some don't kind of get. You know, how would you, Dayan, um describe how do you see people going there? How do you encourage people to get more interested in, in the problem side of it? Uh, various tactics, one of which is uh, Joel and I use story mapping a lot to help teams build backlogs. And if, if you take that approach to help them build a product backlog, uh, you're already starting off by defining the work that needs to be done in the context of someone using the product. Um, now, you know, I should say, when we do story mapping for product backlogs, we're way beyond product discovery, right? If you were to sit down and talk with Jeff Patton about story mapping, he's yeah. much further to the left in the value stream. Uh, but the way we use it to help teams develop the, the backlogs, uh, it often drives out a lot of um, realization that there are way more unknowns than the people in the room thought there might be when they first walked in. And, and sometimes it's, it's just an ask. So there, there's a story in the book that I tell about working with a team they, they came into their dojo, they already had a product backlog, they were kind of gung-ho to start writing code on day one. And I basically said, let's try this technique of story mapping. Uh, I wanna teach it to you, so you have it in your tool bag, if nothing else. If, uh, if we do it for an hour and it's not providing any value, you don't see any improvements or additions to your backlog, things that you haven't thought of, we'll abandon it and we'll get into code, right? And within a few minutes, just kind of asking people to talk through who's doing what, you know, what is this person trying to accomplish? All of a sudden, all these looks started going back and forth and it was very quiet. And I, I just said, all right, what's going on here? And they basically admitted that just taking that simple first few steps, they were all of a sudden starting to figure out that there were a whole bunch of unknowns. Um, the really cool thing about that particular uh, team that I worked with is when they got to 
the end of their dojo experience, uh, as we were coming up on the final days, they said, hey, could we do some more story mapping with you? Um, that was kind of key and critical. And uh, we want to be able to, we want to make sure we can do that on our own when we leave the dojo. Uh, I also worked with another organization uh, in Indianapolis. They had a ton of really smart engineers that came out of Rose Holman and Purdue. Joel did a little bit of work with them as well. Going in, I thought, oh, this is going to be like the engineering group, right? We're going to get heavy into TDD and automation and all this really cool tech stuff. As it turns out, I think what led to the most improvements in that org was a lot of the product discovery work we were doing and sort of reorienting them to building uh, backlogs and, and working iteratively towards product design. Gotcha. Let me, let me ask you. So we mentioned uh, our 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 good friend, late friend Dave Husband, as being uh, um, um, somewhat influential. Joel, who have been some of your other influencers in sort of your journey? The book from Nygaard, you know, release it. Uh, who I know is a good friend of uh, of Dion. It's a it's a fabulous book. Um, it's it's strange. I don't know if I ever really got deep into like following a lot of architects as a, as, a, as opposed to like following a lot of ideas. Um, along those lines, like uh, the book from Christopher Christopher Avery, uh, Notes on the Synthesis, Notes on the Synthesis of Form, uh, it's just such an amazing book. Um, and it, it's not, I mean, you could say it's software indirect, right? Because you know of his found his his pedigree, uh, but that book is is purely like physical architecture when he's talking about things and build and building things yeah. and the, and the trade-offs and I, I find a lot of value out of like those kinds of of, of uh, meta meta things you know kind of like how do these things apply in other worlds um, it, I mean it, obviously a lot of stuff in the in the lean space our, our friend Mark Graben and some of his views on kind of systems thinkings uh, Jerry Weinberg I think all of those things uh, I mean it's no knock on architects but outside of Nygaard I haven't found a lot of riveting yeah. architecture books <laughs> Well, it's, it's interesting to, to your point. I mean, a lot of us chase the, the, the patterns and even all the way to Christopher Alexander and sort of getting to oh, that. Sorry, Alexander, right. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought there was a new guy, but uh, nah, that's cool. Yeah. But, but um, you're right. I think I I've, I don't read a lot of architecture books for architects, but I, I'm always interested. Like Martin Ballard's been hugely um, influential to me, Bob Martin. Yeah. And of course, Ken Beck, you mentioned it, and others. Um, so, but I think it's interesting that when I read those things, it's less around, I'm not designing building as many systems these days, but I often think about or, or, or pick up from them their thought process and then their ability to explain things in, 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 in very simple terms. That is a skill set that I've got really good engineers that work on our teams and, and sometimes they can do that and sometimes they can be really smart technically, but have a tough time sort of, you know, distilling it down yeah. um, as well. I I don't know. I don't think uh, Dion did Nora's book come out yet. Do you know? Yeah, Nora and Casey's. Yeah, is, is her book out? Yeah, I was I was gonna mention them too. So I, I mean, going back to Nygaard, one of the I, I was lucky enough to work with Nygaard in a couple of different contexts, and one of the things I learned from him that I think was the main thesis of Release It was there's a big difference between being sort of functionally complete and correct and being ready to run in production, right? Like there's, <laughs> there's a gap there. And that's how yeah. Superbreaker came into being and Bulkhead and you know his uh, stability patterns and all that. Um, the, the other thing I learned from Mike is good architecture is always appropriate for the context of the problem you're trying to solve with the constraints of the problem. Joel was sort of alluding to this earlier. 
and and this is where I I get hung up with people who are like, let's just do serverless or what whatever, yeah. right? It's, what are the constraints anyway? Um, that lesson from Mike about that gap between sort of functionally correct and being able to ready to run into production, it seems like every few years there, there's something new in that gap, right? So now it's building systems that are uh, resilient and can be tested using chaos engineering techniques. And, um, you know, there's the whole SRE space and yeah. uh, things that go along with BNS and SRE. Is your system observable? You know, have you built it in such a way that you can observe what's happening and not just do basic monitoring? Um, so, so those things. I, I guess Eric Evans is is another person um, that's a big influence on me lately. I took a workshop with him, uh, co-taught by him and Paul Rayner, who runs the big DDD conference here in the states. The the really cool thing about that, the exercises they did, even though we were doing like things with cards and uh, physical medium. The exercises were all geared around trying to convey how Eric thinks of these things in his head. So um, it was to teach you how to think, you know, going back to your questions earlier about problem solving and, and all that. Interesting. Now, uh, we've been doing some SRE gigs in the last year and a half. And that was, a, you know, when, when that book came out, it was a bit of a new, new, new to me. But it made a whole lot of sense, you know. We take a software person and say, "Go, go figure out how to run a data center." They they approach it from a very different perspective than somebody who's been slinging routers and firewalls, you know, for 30 years. Um, and and that's one of the things I think in my career, you know, I didn't get in the cloud until about really about six seven years ago. But I came up like you, Dion. I was a Java architect, and you know, as so long as I made my uh, WAR file and put it in the right spot, magic happened. Right. And, and you know, and I, and I and I knew something about web logic and databases, but I wasn't not nearly anywhere in that space. And what I think has been great about the cloud is one for me personally, I've learned a lot about things like load balancers and things I just didn't know about. But it's software. It's all software. And how you think about differently now. You know, one of the first interviews I had is our um, chief security architect, and we were lamenting. You know, back 10 years ago, I had I went to Sun's um, performance center up here in Tyson's for a customer. You had one week in a Sun facility to bring all your stuff in there. You know, load it into a bunch of uh, Sun boxes, performance test it, and then tear it all down and, and leave because we couldn't afford the millions of dollars of equipment. Like you know, it, and yeah. so that concept doesn't really even exist anymore. You don't have to leave your house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To, to do that. And so it's it's interesting to me that we've made these big leaps and bounds and things. But there's some of these old older truisms and axioms that, that continue to, to to play forward. Right. When DDD came out, you couldn't have thought about the cloud like those concepts didn't exist, um, but they're still very relevant now. Well, DDD had uh, sort of a big resurgence because of microservices, Right. Yeah. Like, you want to talk about please? Let's talk about DDD. Yeah, it was it 2003? I want to say Eric Evans' book came out around 2003. I met him at a conference once, and a great book, a really long book. Um, but uh, if you actually made it through the whole thing, <laughs> yeah, congratulations on that. But I have seen a big resurgence in, in DDD come around, and it's it, you think it's basically I hadn't tied it back to microservices, but that that's sort of the the, the thought. I think that was a, a big part of it. The other thing is, uh, so I was really into DDD when it first came out. Couldn't get a lot of organizations interested, to be quite honest. So I was away from it a little bit. When I came back to it, uh, the concept of domain events had been added. So um, 
that is a concept much more important on the sort of tactical implementation side, along with actual architectures like event sourcing and things yes. like that. So I think I think it's a combination of microservices and all these event-based architectures and reactive systems that we're building today that just makes all of those, like you were saying, Ryan, those core concepts that were true 20 years ago, um, they're still true now. They're they're very applicable now, and uh, it really is a good tool for helping sort of build modern architectures, for lack of a better word. I agree. So, 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 Joel, tell me what are the we've been talking about some of these new concepts from Dion. What are some of the new topics and top trends and things that you're kind of keeping on top of? I mean, whether it's architecture or not, what are, what are the things, some of the things you've been sort of focused on recently? You know, the biggest thing is. Uh, the the whole SRE space is still just just generally interesting. Um, I, I think the the thing that uh, kind of triggered it for me was uh, the the first book that uh, Casey and them put out, the, like the little short book um, yeah. on Chaos Engineering. Yeah, yeah. And I, I thought the way they framed up how they came to uh, Chaos Engineering was really was really nice. Where they said like they were asking the questions around what are the things they don't understand or what you know what's what's slowing them down from experimenting. And I was like, man, that's such a nice frame for an architecture of like looking at things and saying, what's slowing us down from being able to learn faster? And I thought that was just such a, a great uh, idea. Um, so the, the whole chaos engineering stuff is still wildly interesting. Um, the observability stuff, as DM mentioned, it, it's still kind of new to the space. Um, you know, I haven't really got into the AI ML stuff or anything like that. Um, I, I haven't seen too many things that uh, have been too crazy and new. Uh, beyond the, the SRE stuff being uh, exciting right now. Well, cool. No, I, I do think there's a lot of space. And yeah, one of these days, I'd love to have Casey and Nora on this program. And one, one of the aspirations, maybe one of these days, I, I, I supported, we, we um, sponsored the last one in New York, I guess it was a year and a half or two ago. Yeah. Casey. And of course, I think well, up in Minneapolis, it was, um, I can't remember if you were that. That's the last time I hung out with Husband when he hosted yeah. the chaos thing up in there. I think it was, what, 2017 or so. But First yeah, probably. And Kent Beck was in the room. Um, I, I walked up to him. I was like starstruck, right? I didn't want to be like a, hey, can I get you on? <laughs> yeah. like, oh my God, Kent Beck is there. So I, I briefly talked to him. He's a super nice guy. And yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, his white book is what got me started. Like I picked up his white book about XP, and that's how I learned XP. And that's how, that's a bit of the how I got on this whole journey. I'm on. So, yeah. So. We, we actually did a, uh, uh, there's this loose affiliation of people doing this dojo model called the Dojo Consortium. There's about 30 okay. companies, people from 30 companies. We helped put on a conference in uh, April of 2019. So, you know, not this April. We invited Kent to come and he almost immediately responded yes. And we were like, wow, Kent loves what we're doing. This is really oh, no. awesome. Yeah. When he got there, he he kind of admitted to us that his son lived. It was in Minneapolis. His son lives in. <laughs> as soon as he saw, like, we'll pay you to come to Minneapolis, he was like, "All right, I'm in." Um, but he was great, and uh, yeah, same same thing. Uh, especially being an old small talker, kind of, I still have the hero worship thing going with Kent Beck. And, and I mean, you know, talk about someone who's still answering appropriate questions with yeah. architect. Uh, you know. Oh, yeah look at the latest things he's writing and posting on LinkedIn and places. And I mean, he's definitely someone, whenever I see something come through, it's like, all right, drop what you're doing and read this. Nice. No, still as rebel now as ever. So Joel, yeah. you're going to say something? Well, I was going to say he had, he had that, uh, that the, the TCR stuff I think is interesting, but he had that, uh, what did he call it? Options and bags of options. 
uh, from like uh, six months ago. And I was like, man, it's, it's again, such a nice way of, uh, of looking at a problem. And I just think, you know, again, kind of coming back to like the architectural stuff, I think those are the questions that are more interesting right now is like, is the ways of looking at problems and, uh, and ideas and not just saying this is the answer, but kind of saying where are the questions at and what are the what are the things we could explore. I think that's the fun stuff. No, I agree, and I think I have to continually remind our engineers, like you know, there, there's options and there's solutions, and you, yeah. the first thing that comes to your mind isn't the solution; it's an option. But go find other options out there. And as, as yeah. you got those veterans, right? If you if you lock in on the first thing, it's one of the worst things you can do. Is an yeah. architect, but sometimes in the rush, you know, what's the first thing? I think Bob Martin said, "What's the first thing you know on every uh, software project? It's the due date." Um, so yeah. if, you know, once the date's locked in, everybody has this. Oh my God, we got to get plans in place, and we got to start building like tomorrow. So let's quickly through it. And I think that the thing I've learned in this is slow down a bit. To your point, go go work in that space. Figure out the questions you don't know. Figure out your options. Once you get that right, the building will happen. But there's things that are, are really expensive and hard to change later. Um, and spending a little bit of that time up front is not wasted time. Even though it may seem like we're going to explore some options that eventually will never make it, that's actually productive use of time. Because so, um, because all the code we always write is always used. We never we <laughs> never have any wasted code. <laughs> so let's well, make sure so we don't waste any time, right? You're so right. We've written it. Yeah. That's so funny. All right, I'm going to wrap things up. Um, just a fun question uh, to Dion first. What are you listening to uh, these days, Dion? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a music sort of guy, but I'm always interested to ask my guests, uh, what do you listen to these days? So musically, if I'm honest, I've been listening to a podcast lately. Uh, yeah. There's this podcast called Soda Jerker on Songwriting, and it's huh. the two guys from Liverpool. Uh, they very obviously know the craft of songwriting inside and out. And when they have guests on, they, they dig really deep. You know, it's just obvious they look, listen to the whole catalog. And uh, almost every guest at the end of the episode is like, wow, you guys were great. Like, I've been being interviewed for 20 years and I've never had, you know, questions of this stuff. And I think because they're so good and, uh, you know, they really do dig in, they get people like Sting, Paul McCartney, Roseanne Cash, Elvis Costello, uh, KT Tunstall. So, I, I mean, it's it's quite amazing the lineup that they're able to get, uh, but it's great. And then, of course, I, I turn around and listen to whoever artist it is that they just had on the podcast, listen to their music. Um, lately, uh, sort of a crossover, there was also this show on cable, uh, like a two-movie thing about Laurel Canyon in the mm-hmm. late 70s, early 70s. So I've been listening to... Uh, Joni Mitchell, Buffalo Springfield, um, Crosby, Stills, Nash and & Young. And there was a little bit of a crossover between the two because one of the Soda Jerker episodes was with David Crosby. So, yeah, so I'm a little different than Dion in the sense that uh, – uh, <laughs> so, so, so I grew up as one of the, the punk rock kids in the south side of Chicago. Uh, and, you know, you can, take the, you can take the kid out of the south side of Chicago, but you can't take the punk rock out of the kid, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> Uh, so like I mean I still kind of listen to that stuff. Um, I've been so no listening jo- to Mitchell basically is I, I won't be hearing much Joni Mitchell coming. Uh, yeah, there's not a lot of Joni Mitchell coming out, <laughs> not a lot of Yanni. Um, even I coach baseball, and so like uh, the kids get to choose some songs, but then like you know some Ramones comes on or like Pantera nice. comes on or Slayer, so that's that's pretty good. Uh, there, there's a, a band in Chicago. Um, Actually, they they lived in Minneapolis. They moved to Chicago, uh, called Off with Their Heads. 
be- beautiful band in the sense that their, their music is just uh, just raw. It's just uh, it's 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 uh, to the point. It's it's emotional. It's it's kind of. I mean, there, there's it's not it's not going to be pretty. You know, it's you're gonna yeah. you're gonna feel it. And you're gonna hear it. Um, but it's nice because they all uh, punk rock for a purpose, right? Like I mean, that's kind of how we we grew up. Um, these guys, you know, they, they, they stopped touring, but they've been doing lots of things to support local small businesses in Chicago now, doing a lot of fundraisers. I mean, so it's just, it's it's nice to see, you know, they're, they're a punk rock band. They're not making millions of dollars, but it's nice to see, uh, you know, bands kind of doing the right thing for the for the community. And that, that's that's kind of what I like. I, I kind of always attach to those the things. So that's why I've been listening off their head, kind of pairs, those kinds of things. Nice, nice. Yeah, here in Richmond, War is basically the oh, local, uh, hometown. Oh. They do a lot of things here in, in Richmond. There's a barbecue restaurant, but yeah, um, they're su- super well known as a, a Richmond-based yeah. uh, band. And um, my my son is uh, he's 12 now. Uh, he's seeing War three times with me. I think the first wow. time he saw him was he was seven, and he was. He was a little nervous. You guys get sprayed at all? Uh, no, I kept him back. I kept him back because okay, I thought that'd be okay. too traumatic the first time. He'll <laughs> <laughs> right. work his way up there whenever live music comes back. So, hey, yeah. Joel, Dion, thank you so much. It's, it's been an enjoyable chat. And um, um, we look forward to uh, catching up whenever we see each other again. And look yeah. forward to you guys at some point down the road. So uh, thanks, everybody. Um, and uh, we'll wrap it from there.